The Guardian. Hello, I'm Matt Wells and this is Media Talk. Coming up, a comfy end to a bumpy week. Hello and welcome to The One Show with Matt Baker. And Alex Jones. And tonight we are very pleased to welcome to our humble One Show sofa, the Prime Minister, David Cameron. (laughs) After David Cameron's appearance on The One Show, we untangle the PM's PR strategy. Also in the podcast, as Parliament grills the new BBC chairman, a political storm engulfs his American counterpart. Plus, is Martha Carney about to join the team at Channel 4 News? And... I'm interested in public policy and, yeah, and what sort of society we're building. We're, I mean, we're right at the centre of all these things. It's happy birthday, Rupert Murdoch, as the Dirty Digger turns 80. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Now, in the week that Prince Andrew faced criticism for his choice of associates, I'm joined in the studio by a couple of real ne'er-do-wells. Paul Robinson is the Managing Director of Kids Co TV. Good to see you again, Paul. How are you? I'm good. It's not being near the Queen this week. (laughs) Excellent. And uh, Stephen Brooke is the media editor, it says here, at the Australian newspaper. Congratulations. Uh, This is officially uh, your last ever appearance on the pod. I thought we'd had your last appearance on the pod already. Yeah, well, we had, but like... um He's like, back for a guest appearance. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I can now get a special guest star attached to my name. OK, well, uh, if you need them, producer Ben is standing by with a Kleenex. Uh, all right, let's uh, get things moving. And we'll start this week with, as Harry Hill says, the TV highlight of the week. Well, Mike has washed his face and he's here with Avon, the born owl. And before we get on to how beautiful she is, Prime Minister, we understand that you have a bit of a rodent problem yes. at number 10. <laughs> Don't talk some... about the cabinet like that. <laughs> Uh, oh, yes, very funny. That's David Cameron, who joined Alex, uh, Matt, and a barn owl called Avon on the one show so far this week. Uh, six million people tuned in to watch the Prime Minister get grilled on everything from happiness to the royal wedding to, as you just heard, pest control at number 10. So uh, it was a case of easy questions at the end of a tough week for the PM, who was facing criticism over various things, Britain's handling of the Libya crisis, uh, an uncertain line from number 10 over the man we mentioned just a few moments ago, Prince Andrew. Uh, is this all the sign of an uncertain media strategy? Uh, Cameron does, after all, have a new PR man who appears to be struggling to find his feet. We've been joined uh, for this part of the show by Hugh Muir, the Guardian's diary editor, who's very politically attuned, uh, Hugh. So as he said. Uh, and um, is this all part of, do you, do you think, the, the new Craig Oliver strategy? Well, is there, it, is there a strategy? <laughs> we wait to see if there's a long-term strategy. But, you know, Craig Oliver will be feeling very uh, good about himself, uh, I think, uh, following this. The, the, the one show, I'm looking at uh, Conservative Home, which says Craig Oliver may not have done a, himself a, a good job with his newspaper briefing on Prince Andrew, but he can allow himself a celebratory pint after Cameron's performance on BBC's one show. Um, so I think there'll be cock a hoop. Mm. Uh, you called it a grilling. I'm not even sure it was well, a, kind said, of, yes, a, a, a light warming, really, no. was it? Um, totally into ca- in Cameron's territory. He was able to control it. He was able to get all of his policies across. Poor Alex and uh, uh, what's, the other, what's the other Matt. one called? Matt were floundering. Um, yeah, it's, uh, this is interesting because uh, because it was different. You felt from the uh, from the GMTV sofa style stuff, which is you know people say it's soft, but you do get a, you do generally get a, a proper interview in the in the, in the morning. Right. But this was really cause Adrian Charles has been there. He'll get yeah. you know he, he was on uh, Five Live and he was a good interviewer. And, and uh, if you if you spout nonsense with him, he'll have you. But uh, I mean, these two weren't, weren't really of that caliber. They tried, and the one thing they tried to do was to bring the public in, and that can work, of course if the public are there and if it's live uh, as you know margaret thatcher famously oh. found to her cost because the public can be very difficult and they ask very scratchy questions 
And if you don't answer their questions, they tend to ask you another one, which these two um, probably yeah. did not do to David Cameron. So uh, what do we think of, of, the, of the new PR, if there is a, a, a new PR strategy? Because Craig Oliver got off to a bit of a shaky start, as you, uh, as you said. I mean, the, he was also became a bit of the story himself, didn't he, when he was pictured wandering into Downing Street on his first day with those very expensive headphones. Yeah, the, the Dr. Dre headphones. Yeah. And we all thought that he was listening to gangster rap and um, just trying to get the tost- testosterone going yeah. for his new role. And in fact, he was listening to the Today programme. <laughs> and then he was, then he, then he was late for his taxi. Wasn't his he? timekeeping was in question. So yeah. I think he will have got some brownie points back here. But yeah. I do wonder whether or not this is a good strategy and that what are we talking about we're not really talking about anything that Cameron said we're all talking about whether or not this was a bit of a patsy interview Mm. and I do wonder if in the weeks ahead they, they can repeat this strategy um, because yeah. Cameron really has to, to prove himself with, you know, with proper questioning, and everyone knows that this wasn't proper questioning. Mm. And it seems strange to me because they, they seem better able to do this in America, where people go on programs like uh, you know the uh, the John Stewart Show, and that's a, a funny program. But he will skewer you in his own way if if again uh, your your answers don't add up. And even the breakfast programs, like the Today program, mm. um, uh, and Good Morning, America. Good Morning yeah. America, you know they they are able to. Do do that gear shift between the silly interview and the serious interview. We don't seem to be able to do that. Either you get the kind of verbal waterboarding from uh, Jeremy Paxman, or you get your tummy tickled. Uh, Stephen Brook, you're, you, I mean, you're, you're nodding. It's, um, uh, it, it's, it was quite Blairite in a way, wasn't it, of, of Cameron? You wouldn't have seen Gordon, Gordon Brown doing that. And, and uh, he, but he seems quite relaxed in these kinds of uh, Arenas. He did seem very relaxed. Uh, Gordon Brown, I think, would throw the switch to Vaudeville if he was absolutely forced to. Uh, I thought it was a good program. It was informative. They had a segment on the Human Rights Commission in Europe and the impact that's having on Britain, which I thought packaged that up in a very skillful way for an early evening audience. Uh, I do think that um, although Alex and Matt might have asked in the right areas, they had a chronic lack of follow-up and didn't challenge anything. They said, oh, Libya's been very, a very big issue this week, but didn't criticise the government for their poor response in getting the uh, British citizens out. Uh, apart from this bizarre incident at the end, where as the credits were rolling and the music was coming up, Matt sort of turned to the Prime Minister and said, how do you sleep at night? Which uh, he was actually flustered by and thought that, as many people did, it was a direct attack on him (laughs) being a big bad Tory. Whereas we learn now he was just following orders from a producer who had, in his um, uh, earpiece, said, you know... Ask Cameron how he copes with the stress. So the oh. one sort of moment of grit was a bit of a, a mistake on yeah. Matt's part. I thought Cameron actually did deal with that quite well, though, because yeah. you know I think his answer was, well, you know, I think it's very important that you get enough sleep. So um, I think he realised that that question could be interpreted in one of two ways, and chose to interpret it in the way that was most favourable to him. Exactly. There were a few delicious split seconds, though. Of, what am I going to do now? Yeah, he will have to. He will have to go, Cameron, uh, onto the Today programme and Newsnight as well, won't he? Paul he will. I'm, I, I'm not sure. I agree that actually the, the lack of rigorous questions was necessarily would have been seen as such by the audience. This was, after all, a mainstream evening show on a show which isn't exactly known for its journalistic rigour anyway. It's just an entertainment, you know, easy sort of going show. I think the people who were watching at that point would have been quite happy with the level of questioning and would not have actually undertaken the sort of analysis we've just taken here. So yeah. uh, I think in that sense, big, big, big plus, Cameron did well. And, you know, he was seen to increase the average audience by about 30% from the regular run 
one audience. Yeah, that's that's a big plus for him. You know, that, that, they'll be very happy with that. Well, while we're talking about Cameron and uh, sofas and all this, that's, uh, that ties into some other stories about the media and politics. Labour has been complaining this week that the BBC has turned down its coverage about the coalition's spending cuts, uh, criticising the uh, corporation for using the word savings instead of cuts. Uh, Sonny Handel uh, reported this on his Liberal Conspiracy blog. Uh, in particular, the BBC London journalists have been told that senior manage- by senior management that, uh, that, that cuts makes the news seem too negative. Now, Hugh Muir, you used to work at BBC London in a former guise, uh, of course, so you will know all about the sort of pressures that BBC journalists uh, uh, come under. Is there anything in, in all of this, do you think? Well, two things. One, I think this is as much a story about the Labour Party who supplied the story um, as it is about uh, as it is about the BBC, um, it shows that Labour are getting their PR act together and uh, uh, wanted to put a, a shot across the bowels of the BBC, and they've done that really quite successfully. Um, but if you look at the story, it doesn't really stack up. I mean, it has to be said that it's a bit of a, a reporting nightmare for uh, a BBC reporter because, you know, if a hospital um, has a spending reduction and you go out on that job, what do you say in your script? Is it a saving? Is it a cut? Um, if, you're lucky, your point of view, yeah. if you're lucky, then someone will say, I think it's a cut, and you can report them saying that. Yeah. Um, and so you can report it quite neutrally. But whatever you do, you know you're going to get it in the neck. Um, to, achieve, to achieve a saving, you have to make a cut. So the cut is the thing you do to achieve the saving. Mm. And, and a saving, if you look in the dictionary, it's, a saving is described as a reduction in expenditure or outlay, which is exactly what it is. Mm. I think you can look at diff- dictionary definitions, and then you can look at the way the politicians um, y- y- define those words in, well, the, in their cut, own terms. Cut, cut sounds pejorative, doesn't yes. it? Saving sounds like it's a good well, indeed. thing. indeed. Yes. And exactly. I, th- I think what, what actually happened here uh, is a discussion about uh, ask, asking reporters to think about the words that they use. Um, and, which uh, is pr- fine, isn't w- it? W- which I think you have to have that discussion. Um, I mean, from what I know, uh, BBC London reporters are under no edict to use one word or the other. They yes. are being told to think about which word they use, Yeah, which, um, which, 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 which you would expect. Um, is this the semantics of austerity, isn't it, Stephen? Exactly, and frankly, I am hearing both words used quite frequently on the BBC so, so non-story there. Yeah. Right, let's move on. Um, Labour is also smarting about the new BBC Trust uh, chairman, Chris Patton's refusal to give up his membership of the Tory party. Uh, also a bit reluctant to cut back, back on his business interests as well. Uh, he's a paid advisor for BP and EDF Energy. He's also a chancellor at Oxford University. Uh, so Michael Lyons quit the Labour Party. This is the, his predecessor, quit the Labour Party, Hugh, when he became chairman. Do you think Chris Patton should tear up his Tory party card? I think he should. Yeah, um, I think he should. I think he should, uh, and, and I think, and I hope that he does, because actually I think he has the potential to be a very good BBC Trust chairman, Yeah, um, because I think he's not scared of the fight. Um, uh, and you and should be not, seen to be impartial. I think you have yeah. to be. I mean, how did the BBC report a story about EDF Energy, yeah. uh, knowing that the man uh, 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 at the top has a link with that company. I think that's ridiculous. And, and he will have to cut that link. Do, 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 you, do you agree, Paul? I, I do agree. I think he, he must resign from the Tory party. The other thing is, I think he's got to have enough time to do the BBC job. I mean, they're saying it's a four-day-a-week job. You know, he, he may be Superman, but he can't possibly squeeze all this in and do four days a week on the BBC. And the BBC does need a chairman who really is gripping things up. So and I hope he will do that merely so he can do the BBC job properly. Because um, yeah. I agree, I think he could be a very good chairman. Yeah, and uh, Lyons did say that, that, that it was a... I think when he was... 
taken on. It was meant to be a three-day-a-week job, and he said it just isn't. You know, it, it, is, it is almost a full-time job, the way, particularly when you're, uh, the BBC is, is at the centre of a, one political storm or, um, or another. Lyons has um, uh, stepped down with a uh, – he made an outgoing speech. I thought it was a bit um, – he didn't say very much, um, did he, Paul? I, see you've, you've got I it thought it was – no, I didn't say very much. But I, th- I, thought, it was, I thought his analysis of the, um, the brand um, Ross affair was completely and utterly wrong. You know, because what what's happened, of course, as a result of, of the BBC's um, uh, that, that particular incident is now they've gone compliance mad. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly in radio now. Which Chris Patton, in his sort of confirmation hearing to, uh, type thing a few hours before we, we, we came in here, said that. Yes. Said, said as much. And, 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 you know, in radio now, there's a whole raft of management whose job is to actually make decisions. And, in fact, most of the time they don't make decisions either. So the poor producer is never allowed to actually comply a programme. They've got this ridiculous process where it goes right up to the controller. You know, they've gone over the top. At the end of the day, the BBC should be about rate taking risks. It should be doing edgy stuff. And, you you know, with comedy, sometimes you're going to get it wrong. This one was maybe over the edge, but it doesn't mean there's an endemic problem editorially in the BBC. Mm. This one maybe was just an error. It's it, going to happen. That is very BBC, though. To, the, the pendulum yes. swings from one extreme to the other. I, I was hoping that, that Lyons would sort of um, be quite demob happy and start slagging off Mark Thompson and, uh, and and the government and very pretty much everybody, but he just didn't. He seems throughout his entire tenure to be very buttoned down and controlled perhaps too much uh very sort of gray almost a bit like john major coming back um he did have a difficult job at the start i think because he came in after michael grade skipped off to itv and grade had set up the whole system and lions had to deal with that i think the trust did some good things i think they were right to stomp on the ultra local news uh desire that the bbc and they also closed down bbc jam of course famously they decided not to close BBC Six Music and have since turned around to Mark Thompson and said, you can't salami slice, you've got to yes, yes, cut so the, services. So they, re- they refused to cut a service, yeah. now telling him that he should cut services. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, they've been good on executive pay and there's a lot of people uh, have left the BBC or are being paid less because of that. Uh, but one decision they have made, which is this sell-off of BBC magazines, I think will be a disastrous legacy mm. for those magazines and their readers. Mm. Okay. okay. Uh, well, we'll, uh, uh, we'll see how it goes. Hugh, uh, we're going to say goodbye to you. Thank, uh, th- thank you very much for your uh, contributions. Uh, we'll leave that bit there. Uh, there's more on camera and the Labour Party, of course, and spending cuts. Oh, say savings. Savings. Sorry. Over at guardian.co.uk slash politics. Right. If you thought all of that was exciting, uh, brace yourself, boys and girls, for the quick public service announcement. The 2011 Guardian Student Media Awards are just about to launch, so if you're young, ambitious and talented, head to guardian.co.uk slash SMA11 uh, or just send me your photo and I'll see what I can arrange. Uh, anyway, uh, the BBC, of course, that we were just talking about, uh, is used to being a political football, but over in the United States, uh, the organisation that it's often compared with, NPR, is taking a battering of its own. Its president and chief executive, Vivian Schiller, uh, has resigned after one of NPR's fundraising executives was caught on camera being rude about the Republicans, uh, which, of course, is not very clever when you rely on Republican-controlled Congress for some of your funding. Now, a friend of Media Talk and US media commentator Jeff Jarvis is on the Skype to fill us in. Uh, Jeff, can you explain uh, to our non-US listeners uh, what's happened here? Well, there's a fight over funding of uh, public radio, which includes not just NPR, the national network, but also all the local stations, as well as public TV. 
Uh, in the U.S., we don't have the license fee structure that you have, uh, but we do have some small amount of government funding that, that goes to these, and the Republicans regularly go after it, trying to kill it, uh, just wanting to kill expenses, and also because they don't like public broadcasting, and they're at it again. In the midst of all this comes this kerfuffle, following another kerfuffle in which a uh, conservative commentator was fired at NPR for what he'd said on Fox TV. So Vivian Schiller, the CEO, was ousted by the board. But there's a bigger story going on here, which is about the, guess what, what we talk about every time, the change in media. And that is that the NPR board is dominated by local stations. And local stations used to be the heart of public radio, of course, because it's radio. And they uh, distributed the programs NPR has and paid for them. Well, now with the Internet, the value of distribution is going down rapidly. The stations are in trouble. NPR, on the other hand, uh, can distribute itself now and is doing great. Uh, It's been growing and doing wonderful work. And so there's an inherent conflict there. I think that NPR should give up government funding, heresy in your neck of the woods, because it would take away this political pressure. And NPR could afford to do that. It uses only a few percent of its budget from government funding. Well, 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 well I was just going to say, could, could NPR survive uh, uh, without federal funding? Because it, because it would be a lot easier and simpler if it, if it could, couldn't it? Easily. Uh, and I think that given all of this fuss, I think if NPR came out and said, let's buy ourselves out of this yoke of government funding, I think they'd probably earn more in contributions than they get from the government. But the problem is the local stations are not so... Uh, independent. They depend heavily on government funding. And again, their business is shrinking. And it is a business, even though they're not for profit, they, uh, you know, they have to get sponsors and donations from the public and all these things. And so they would not like to see NPR head that way. And NPR is controlled by the local stations. There is a suggestion, isn't there, Jeff, that Vivian Schiller uh, mishandled it by, uh, uh, or an NPR mishandled, has mishandled their relationship with the Republicans generally by caving in so quickly on, on, on all these controversies. And that fault lies not at Vivian's feet, but at the board's feet. Uh, so the board got this pressure. There was, you know, this uh, fuss over criticizing the Tea Party of the Republicans. And next thing you know, the head of fundraising is not only out, but so is the head of the whole network. Yeah. And so who the hell would want to take this job now, knowing that your board is going to pull the rug out from underneath you? Um, this is a bad sign for, you know, a really important media outlet in the U.S. Yeah, because well, if your board is not, is, is not strong enough, um, you, you're, um, uh, you can't stand up to that because you know, heavy incoming fire from, 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 from Washington is enough to, to, to fail anyone, isn't it? And I, I suppose exactly. th- that's a lesson from, from here in Britain. You know, you know m- uh, as much as we criticize the, the, the BBC, they have strong management and str- a strong board that stands up to political pressure. Yeah. All right. Well, well, we'll 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 see how this all 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 plays out. Thanks very much for explaining it all to us, Jeff. Thank you, Matt. See you later. It's just, it's just as well, Brookie, that that nothing like that could ever happen here. <laughs> Political criticism of public broadcasting. Never. Oh yeah, yeah. What would we do all day? Yeah, exactly. But it does also show, doesn't it, that actually, although we criticise the license fee, it's probably the least worst means of funding. Uh, the BBC, you know, because oh, any, any, any media that's got yeah. advertising funding or direct government funding is immediately in hock to somebody. At least with the licence fee, there's enough arm's length distance that the BBC can do what it does generally pretty well. 
Yeah, okay. Uh, good stuff. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go on to our uh, uh, much-promised news in brief section. Uh, Stephen, Martha, Martha Carney is uh, tipped to be heading to Channel 4 News to become the third. They, well, they want a sort of a third big name, don't they, to go al- alongside John Snow and Krishna Guru Murthy. And they want a woman, hmm. clearly. I think we Maggie... We do those around here, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Maggie was on a couple of weeks ago uh, on this pod, not Channel 4 News, obviously, yeah. talking about the big changes that are being, I presume, by, pushed by Jay Hunt, and they want to make it a lot more domestic they want to make it a lot more appealing to female viewers and clearly that strategy is a bit of a busted flush unless you've got a strong female presenter who is there so is martha carney the right sort of woman i think she could be in many ways Mm. although i note from the um Richard K. column in the Daily Mail. Oh, what has he been saying? Well, who has thrown their hat into the ring? I say, love Richard K. I'm available, none other than Natasha Kaplinsky, who's bored at home and bored with motherhood. I thought you were going to say Vanessa Feltz for a second. Though. Oh, right. No. I think Natasha might be a bit glam for Channel 4 News. Yeah, I think she, I think she probably is. Yeah. Yeah. Martha um, Carney, however, isn't. <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> you didn't have to say that. It was perfectly... Perfectly well implied. Sometimes, Brooke, you just go too far. Um, there's, uh, there's a new editor at Question Time, Nikolai Gunchev, um, who, uh, who's... Bless who's, you. <laughs> just, but honestly, really, you really must, Stephen, you must contain yourself. Um, he used to... He, he, uh, he, uh, at the moment, he's, uh, he's editor of Good Morning Scotland, and then he was, he's been seconded from the Today programme. He used to present the uh, Bloomberg Business Bulletins on LBC. I'm assuming that that line is in my script because... Uh, Producer Ben Green Green used to to produce the Bloomberg Business Bulletins on LBC. It's also a great alliteration and a test for you as presenter. It is indeed, uh, which I think I passed. Um, So so, so the boy's gone far. Um, And uh, this is uh, Paul Robinson. This is all the kind of fallout from the editor resigning and the move to to Scotland. Yes, and Dimmel be going up on the train and all this sort of nonsense. I mean, my my view is I think Question Time is a great programme. I mean, very simple format. I love it. My, My plea to the new editor is keep it stuffy, stop putting these silly, inarticulate let people on who are token young things it, who have nothing to say. Keep it stuffy. <laughs> so what, what did you say? Keep it informed is really what I mean. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I was listening to what Ben was saying, not what you were saying. Um, uh, Brookie, are you a Question Time fan? Yes, I am. I think it's a vital programme to the BBC and Britain as a whole, and it is, you know, on a good week, the most popular political program of its type Mm. Um, and you know stations and other programs copy it we've seen that with the one show which with David Cameron they had punters on the street asking him questions and I think on a good night it's incredibly stimulating and informative um, and let's just hope that this guy has um, got the smarts about him to do a good job. Yeah, well, I'm sure they wouldn't have appointed him if he, if he didn't. But, um, I mean, well, the, the other thing is what's happening with Dimbleby, because he is... Well, he's been grumbling, hasn't he? He's been grumbling, but he doesn't, he, he doesn't, seem, to be, he doesn't seem to be so unhappy that he's uh, prepared to jump ship. Well, he's, he's lost the royal wedding gig, hasn't yeah. he? So it's, it's, it's kind of his big thing at the moment, but he won't last forever. And when he goes, that is just a major question for the BBC, who they replace him with, and they've got to get it right. Mm. Jeremy Paxman? Well, yes, maybe. I don't know. Natasha Kaplinsky? Yes, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yes, is Jeremy Paxman uh, glamorous enough? Well, I, I don't think it's about that. I think that you... I, I know that. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. No, I, I, I think what you have to be is authoritative because you've got, what, 250 people that you have to be able to command, but you've got to be able to do it in a gracious enough way well, that you're not when, bullying them. Well, exactly. Uh, remember when they, re- they replaced Robin Day, who, who's, uh, who was the first, pre- first presenter, did it, did it for years, and they replaced him with Peter Sissons, and it was a slightly unhappy couple of years before they then alighted on... 
David Dimbleby. It does show how you have to have to get that get, get that right. All the show suffers. I reckon John Humphreys would do a very good job. Mm, that's interesting. 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 If yeah, I had my interesting. Yeah. director of television that hat was, on, that's what I'd be that's saying. Very good because that sorts sorts out all, all sorts all of problems. All sorts it of does. Problems. Yes. yes. Yeah. Very good. Okay. And we'll uh, watch the space. Um, should we do a quick bit on Fleet Street? Um, yeah. Richard Pepiat, uh, uh, Stephen has resigned uh, from the Daily Star in a bit of a blaze of glory uh, and he's um, uh, accusing the Daily Star of being anti- anti- anti-Muslim. It was quite a quite a, you know, strongly worded uh, resignation letter. It's, it's it? sort of dare to dream. We all if we are having a bad time in our jobs just want to absolutely spray in a memo that gets put onto Media Guardian and distributed yeah. around the world wide web. Uh, great story for the, you know, it's a great Guardian story as well because yeah. what do we love more but to get stuck into tabloid newspapers and dodgy practices and things the star had a reasonable counter-attack and said he was disillusioned and been passed over for promotions and hey if you didn't like it why'd you stick around for two years and accused him of making up a couple of stories about celebrities so it's kind of um you know is he a hero or is he Mm. i i do think that i mean i'm a bit conflicted by this because i sort of after digesting the story i thought well he's been a bit of a turncoat hasn't Mm. he and if you work for a journalistic institution, you sort of cop their rules. Yes, I mean, and, we, and, and, and get out if you, if, if you don't, don't Yeah, fancy Matt, it, you and not, I could write a devastating expose of The <laughs> Guardian, also, couldn't we? But we're not going to, no, are we? Because we're, we're not. not that type of person. We're not that type of person. But, but he, did, he did very blatantly say to Victoria Derbyshire on Radio 5 Live that uh, he knew it wasn't very good journalism, but it was his job. Mm. And if he didn't do it, somebody else would. So he's sort of admitting that he made stuff up. Yeah, yeah. OK, uh, so should we have a quick word on uh, digital media, Paul? Uh, Spotify have hit uh, a million paying subscribers which is uh, 15% of the music streaming sites' users, which is a pretty good uh, percentage. Really. It, it is. I mean, the, the big challenge for Spotify is converting the people who are free to paid, and that's been the, the challenge. Um, and that's the bit that the, uh, the funders don't like, and, and they're still losing a lot of money. Um, I think Spotify have got there because of just great service, because at the end of the day, you can own music by downloading iTunes, or you can burn it, you know, illegally very, very easily. So all this stuff's available elsewhere. It's just a great way of effectively renting music if you're mobile and, and by providing that service they've actually got a good sort of cachet the challenge now of course is to convert more of them to paying so they make money because currently they're losing i think about um, 13 million a year yeah. what they really need to do is up the frequency of the ads don't they because or, or they've got to make a, a bigger difference between the the free service and the premium service because otherwise why would you go for the premium because you think actually the free service is good enough i'm not going to pay money to get a bit more well that's exactly it the free service is very good and most people i think are content to stick it's with good that. enough right yeah, yeah. Okay. it's a great party soundtrack spotify isn't it you just w- put the laptop up in the corner and Hmm. Yeah, anyone can choose what they want. Exactly. So we should go to Stephen Brooks' should party, Stephen shouldn't Brooks we? Now we know it's yeah. going to be good music. Yeah, no, I've um, got a DJ. You got a DJ? Not yeah. Spotify, Mr. Dougal Spotify, there. DJ Dougal. Spotify, Dougal, Dougal the sub, Dougal the sub, Dougal the media guy. But he himself. used to work at Media Week. No, he used to work at Music Week. Right. So he knows. His, oh, so he's he knows his onions. He's eminently qualified. He's then. Uh, right, onions good. you want? He does his tunes. Uh, we can't let this week go by without wishing a very, a very happy birthday to uh, uh, our, uh, my friend and yours, uh, Rupert Murdoch, who is eighty this week, and is your new employer, of course. Uh, yeah. So delete friend and uh, substitute boss. Right. Okay. Um, what, what, what would you be giving? him for his birthday, Stephen? 
Well, I think uh, it turns 80. He's in that zone now where he probably quite likes nostalgia, quite likes uh, television. So I'd combine the two by getting him a box set of his favourite TV programme. Yeah, very good idea. Um, do you think well, it's... Aren't even going to ask me what it is? Oh, go on. What is well, it? Well, because I do know this, <laughs> okay. obviously. Obviously. Uh, when he used to, a million years ago, run the Channel 10 network in Sydney... Uh, his favourite program he had on every night just before the news, and he said that uh, as far as he was concerned, if he remained in charge of the station beyond every night forever, it was MASH, the US sitcom about the Korean War. Right, right, very good. Which, in fact, was so successful good. it lasted much longer than the Korean War ever did. And probably, Matt, you could sing the theme tune oh, no, no. based on, on current performance. Certainly not. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's this knowledge, this sort of knowledge that's got you your new job, isn't it, really? That's, uh, that's, that's what it is. Um, do you think he'll be still working at 90? Oh, gosh, yes. Yes, yeah. till, he does. till he drops. Ten, ten years in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Actually, um, you know whose birthday also is on a Friday? Who's that? Wall Street Journal editor Robert Thompson. Happy birthday to Robert Thompson. Same, born on the same day, 30 years say, apart. Same age, same age. I was gonna 30 <laughs> years apart, Matt. Oh, uh, right, very good. Uh, there's, a, there's actually an extremely good uh, uh, documentary on the iPlayer about this by uh, Auntie Steve Hewlett. Um, uh, it's uh, it's well, well worth oh, a listen. Yes. Mm. Uh, we'll leave that there. More on all these stories at mediagarden.co.uk. Uh, so we're done for uh, for another week. Uh, that's it. I know it's uh, it's passed so rapidly. It's been marvellous. Uh, but there we go. Um, uh, I would like to know, though, uh, what you two have been uh, up to this week. Paul, Paul, what have you learnt this week on your travels? Um, well, I had um, breakfast this week with John Myers, you know, the new head of the Radio Academy, yeah. uh, Big John, you know, a, a bit of a legendary figure. And um, uh, as a result of that, I mean, um, there'd been a, a Radio, a radio um, Academy podcast where they were talking about phone-in radio, which is very interesting, and I, I was listening to it. And actually, it was recorded in this very studio, it if was, I can just yes. mention that. Yes. But the, the bit that caught my ear was... I, I hope we charged them. I I, I'm sure there was an appropriate charge. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there was. Um, I hope there was. Uh, at the end, though, Martin Campbell was on. Martin Campbell was um, actually editor of um, programmes when I was at, at Talk Radio. He worked for me. And he was then off, Ofcom, for, of course, for a long time. And he was actually... Um, talking about reporting in the Middle East and he, he, he reckoned he'd spotted something that I thought actually might sort of, um, uh, sort of draw sort of a few other p- thoughts and that is that he was, he was equating it to a football match he said what we've got to now is you know, it's, it's, is it good or is it bad and oh there's a regime t- change coming when's it coming oh that must be a good thing and it became sort of like a, a good versus bad and that's quite an interesting, yeah. interesting take on it and I was in Istanbul last week and in fact it was extraordinary how um, the reporting changed on a sixpence the moment a Turk was killed it was this side is good, this side is bad. No, no, we're going to swap places now. Right. And, and his view is, Martin Campbell's view is, this is what um, the new chairman of the BBC Trust should be looking into. This is a key priority. Right, OK, very good. Um, Stephen, seeing as this, this is your fond farewell, you should tell us what you've learned from seven years covering the, covering the British media. Oh, yeah, I can do that, although I do have a very good what I've learnt this week. Go on, well, let's have your what I've learnt this week first. OK. Well, nothing, I love nothing more than a good old newspaper campaign, and I've been devouring the Guardian's campaign about uh, Rebecca Brooks and David Cameron and who had lunch with whom when, and the Guardian's deputy editor Ian Katz even burst into print with an authored opinion piece on it. And now in my new role, I've been doing a bit of sniffing around, whopping, and I've discovered someone who Rebecca Brooks is actually going to be having lunch with. Uh, right. None other than Ian Katz. No, that's, <laughs> that's really goodness. Well, well, we should be a fly, fly, to be a fly on the wall at that uh, that lunch. Yes, will, will it be declared? Uh, well, I think that the more pertinent is who's going to pay. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, well, well, what have you learnt in seven years in uh, in covering the British media? What's your top tip to to those who come after you? Well, I'd actually like to. Uh, 
remind everyone listening of what I regard as being the forgotten people in all of this, which is the... I thought, I thought we'd mentioned the sub-editors earlier on. <laughs> <laughs> no, the audience. Oh. I mean, I've covered this media beat for, as you said, more than seven years, and I just think all too infrequently the readers are the people who get left behind, get left out of conversations, and everyone wonders why certain sections of the British media are in trouble. And I think there's just been a bit of a disconnection. And it's funny, having been in the coalface of the 24-hour, 24-7 news cycle and then to step away from that as a freelancer. And it's just I'm struck by the lack of relevancy in a lot of what gets published in British newspapers and also in the media generally. And I think this story does not speak to me. Um, I don't think it's relevant to me. It doesn't have an impact on me. Why is, in this, why is it in this newspaper that I'm reading? Mm. Well, okay, that's a uh, sound advice, I think. It, it is, and I was going to say, this, this podcast actually is an example of the opposite of that because there's actually a lot of people who listen to this in Australia. Right. So, good day to the Australians. Yeah, hello to, uh, <laughs> hello good day, to I'll be yes. seeing you soon, yes. down under. It has, uh, thank you very much to Paul Robinson uh, and to uh, Stephen Brooke. It's, uh, it's, been, well, it's been emotional. Uh, you, can, uh, you can head to our blog to leave Stop your... singing again. Yeah, I won't. Uh, you can head to our blog to... I've, I have got a singing reference coming up uh, to leave your feedback on the show and find links to everything we've discussed. Um, next week, we're, uh, we're recording uh, the show in Doha, which uh, makes a change from our usual OBs in Oxford and Greater Manchester. Uh, we've been invited to the Al Jazeera Media Forum, which is all a bit exciting. Um, probably best uh, that we don't tell them, uh, Brookie, that you and I have a hot date with Dorothy next Thursday. Um, <laughs> which is uh, actually not a euphemism. We are going to see the, uh, the, the, the Wizard of Oz on what will probably be only the last day in the country. Yeah, last evening, certainly. Yeah. Good. Uh, I'll, uh, well, I'll, 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 I'll escort you to the border. Uh, <laughs> Don't wear the red shoes at the Australian. No, exactly. Uh, our producer was Ben Green. I'm Matt Wells. Uh, there'll be more media talk soon. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.